Good morning once again. It's great to see you all. I certainly do have to echo what Alex was saying there just about the worship time. Thank you, Liz, for just being sensitive. And I hope that you truly appreciate the, the presence of the Lord and, and how it comes over us and refreshes us and renews us. And maybe you didn't catch it because of the way that Alex phrased it, but he was quickened prophetically about what God has in terms of anticipation. I'm going to speak to it just a little bit more later on in the idea of, of setting a, a fresh baseline in our hearts in terms of coming back to the presence of God on a, on a regular basis. And yeah, it was, it was terrific. I have a, a couple things to, to share before we actually get into the message. You know, this is Palm Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, we get to celebrate the risen Lord. And Palm Sunday is given to us in Luke 19. Talks about one of those few moments in Jesus' life where he experienced the accolades and the appreciation of the multitudes as he was coming into Jerusalem, riding on a colt, the humble servant king. Uh, the multitudes were going wild. And it says that they began to praise God joyfully in a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they remain silent, the very stones will cry out. I mean, we're talking about just that amazing, pregnant, powerful moment where the earth was going to explode with joy because the king was coming into the holy city. And it was one of those few moments that Jesus could enjoy before the gruesome, the humiliating, the difficult days that he would go through, starting with Good Friday till he was crucified. And as we were singing that song, Gyra, part of the reason why that song is so powerful is not just because of the tune, it's because it's got so much solid Bible in it. It's declaring truth to us. You are already loved. You are already accepted. And if you're from the Reformed tradition, that is powerful Reformed truth that is coming at us in the form of scriptural concepts. And the reason why we can declare those things to God and to ourselves is because we're looking forward in a week to the finished work of Christ. No more thing needs to be done. You don't have to add a single thing to what Jesus did. You know, if I come home to, to a yard that's completely cut and fresh, I go, man, it's done. I don't have to do anything. It just feels so good. You don't have to do a single thing. We've had a lot of snow this past winter. You come back to the driveway and it's all shoveled because my wife did it. It feels so great. It's all done. It's finished. How much more? Jesus being nailed to the cross. It is the finished work of Christ. And we get to enjoy that. And the way we express that appreciation, we raise our hands, we extol him, we say thank you, Jesus. We stay activated in our heart. That's how we appreciate the work of Christ. So don't come to church in a passive, sort of lackadaisical way, but come with that sense, hey, God is here He's going to meet us. You know, there's worship going on 24-7, and Jesus is on a rolling basis, going through services around the world where he's appreciated. Thank God for that. You know, we love progressive dinners, for Jesus is a progressive celebration constantly, and he is worthy of all our praise. Amen? He's worthy of all our praise. 
Well, it's been a little over a week since Mimi and I came back from Taiwan. We were gone for five weeks. This is the first time in 18 years since we established the church that we're gone that long. We've always had a a two-week rule. In other words, we wouldn't be gone more than two Sundays. Um, But as you know, um, we're going to be stepping into a new role. We announced in January that we're going to be turning over the church to John and, and the leadership here. And I just feel like the Lord orchestrated this five-week trip as sort of a, a mini test run for the church in terms of our absence. And many of you prayed for us while we're in Taiwan. Those five weeks, half of it was just um, absorbed with quarantine procedures. So if United States is the most liberal, Canada's in the middle, and, and Taiwan is the most strict. Literally two weeks of being locked in. That first week, Mimi and I were in the same room 24-7. 24-7, and you know what? It was awesome because the grace of God was there because you were praying for me. But imagine yourself with your wife, and you cannot leave that room. From the moment we landed in the airport, every transition point, workers were in hospital garbs, masks, you know, the whole nine yards. We got tested seven times in 14 days, four PCRs, three antigen tests. They're tracking us by SIM card. They call us every single day. How are you doing? Text us one, two, or three. Are you good? Are you feeling bad? Do we need to take you to the hospital? They have it all worked out. Literally, do you need to be taken to the hospital? At the end of the first week, they send us a little video. They say, you're going to open your hotel door. Someone is going to stick their arm in. You put your head against the wall so you cannot recoil. And we're going to stick the Q-tip swab up into your nose. And in Taiwan, the Q-tip swabs have a mark on it so it has to be inserted to a certain depth. Just purely as a point of comparison, when we got back to YVR, I got selected to be randomly tested. I sat down, and God bless Canada. (laughs) The lady goes, don't worry. It's not going to hurt. We're just going to do a little circle around the tip of your nose. Wow, what a great homecoming. (laughs) What a great homecoming. So we went through two weeks of quarantine. It was intense. My biggest fear actually was not getting COVID. My biggest fear was getting a false positive. It's like, oh my goodness, now we have to start the whole cycle again. We had specifically gone through all the hoops. The Lord supernaturally opened the door for us so that we could go and and see my parents. And that was really the best part was to see my parents. Um, But we had quite a bit of ministry as well. I did 24 ministry meetings in 16 days. Whether it was leadership teams, leadership lessons that I was teaching, uh, met with eight different leadership uh, teams as well. And one of the highlights was this church that we're at in Taizong. Many of you know Banner Church, one of the largest churches uh, in Taiwan. Sunday morning, they have 10,000 people all across the country. And they had, in two years, never had an open meeting slash crusade. And when we got there, they timed it so that they could do that. And to the great surprise and great delight of the leadership, 4,000 people came out for these meetings. 2,000 in person, 2,000 online. They reserved 1,000 Zoom seats for people to go into breakout rooms to receive prayer and prophetic ministry. So if you think getting 40 people in the morning for Zoom prayer is an accomplishment, wow, 1,000, you know, populating these rooms was pretty amazing. Um, Many people got saved. Many people got healed. And, uh, yeah, it was a joy to be with them. So... Besides the ministry time, um, one of the best parts was seeing my parents. My dad is 87. My mom is 
four. I haven't seen them in almost three years. And to see them healthy and vibrant. In fact, initially, one of the reasons why we couldn't go to Taiwan is as we applied for a compassion visa, <laughs> they asked us at the embassy, or the office, I should say, consulate office, well, are your parents sick? And I said, no. They said, well, then we can't let you go. <laughs> I guess I could have lied and said they are sick. But they were healthy. They're vibrant. My dad is still working full time. Monday through Saturday, 8 to 5. One of the joys that we had, of course, was not only being with them face-to-face -face in person, we got to celebrate their birthday together, which we haven't done in over 10 years. So uh, they have a birthday two weeks apart. Normally, we are there in Taiwan in the fall, and we get to celebrate their anniversary, but this time we got to celebrate their birthday. And kind of as a, a fun side note to that, I was telling one of my friends in Taipei about how healthy my parents are, and he said to me, he said, you know, Rich, when I was... 55, the Lord spoke to me that when you're at 70, you'll be as, as healthy as you will be at 55. And I thought, well, that's a great promise. And he said, but there's a little wavering in my faith. And so I asked the Lord for a sign, and this is what God did. His hair was starting to turn white, but as a sign, his hair started to turn back to black. <laughs> is that a cool sign or what? And so he would tell people, look at my hair. I'm, it's not dyed. It's black because God is going to give me good health. So when I talked to him just three weeks ago, he is now 68 years old. He does 200 push-ups a day. God is good, isn't he? Inspired me. I'm starting to do some push-ups now. <laughs> so, yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. And, you know, coming back after those five weeks, Mimi said, you know, it just feels different. And, um, yeah, I would have to agree that it felt different coming back because the sense of transition really was upon us, and it felt like God is moving us, you know, to our next chapter. And I wanted to share just a couple things personally from our side to you so you know what we're going into. We're not going into semi-retirement. We're, we're going into another phase of ministry. And there's a runway that we've been building for our next chapter, which is around church planting. And uh, I have my books back there on church planting. Um, I'm making 50 copies just free for anyone that likes to pick them up but it helps you understand a little bit our mindset, our strategy around it. And we've also created uh, a website as well. And it's called 611, whoops, I think that, uh, there we go. This is just a screenshot of the homepage. This is a website that's called 611.red. And if you've not heard of a website like that before, it's because the internet now is allowing us to use new domains. So as we're looking through different options, there is a .red name that you can reserve, and I thought perfect because .red refers to redeemed. And uh, 611 comes from Isaiah 61.1 to verse 4, and it's basically a blueprint that God has given us for church planting from Isaiah 61, chapter 1. So in my book, I, I make a notation there about the website. You can go there and get a peek at what we're doing uh, in terms of church planting and, and taking that to the nations. But I also do want to say that part of the reason why I want to distribute this book is there's a nostalgia component. So in the back of the book, there's an appendix in which I talk about the startup story of Five Stones Church. And many have gone through E1, or maybe if you're new to the church, I encourage you to take the book and read that appendix. There's 18 chapters of little two, two or three pages, but it takes you through the early years of the church, and I think it'll be really encouraging 
and fun for you to hear. So turn with me to James chapter 3. We're continuing on in our series from the book of James. And my title this morning is Glorifying God Through Our Words and Wisdom. Glorifying God Through Our Words and Wisdom. Jesus, we thank you for your eternal word. We thank you that these are spirit-breathed words, that they are life, that there's never an expiration on these words, but they're always vital and they're always strong. So minister that to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are many ways that we can glorify God with our lives. And James gives us time-tested exhortations and reminders on how to make our lives count for God in a compelling and visible manner. We talk about not hiding our light under a bushel basket. Jesus did not come to establish the church and raise up the church so that we could just be hidden in the corner or under a bushel basket. Rather, we're called to glorify God in a tangible, visible way. In the, in the run-up to the passage today that we're going to read in chapter 3, we see that there are many ways in which we can do it. We glorify God through perseverance. Why do we applaud marathon runners? Why do we applaud single moms or those who are cancer survivors? Because they manifest the virtue of perseverance. And Christians likewise are called to persevere, to manifest determination, and to be finishers. We are not quitters. Part of the reason why you and I are here is we're standing on the shoulders of the early Christians that had to go through so much suffering and persecution. The enemy was trying to snuff out Christianity as a religion, but they said no. And James wrote this letter in part to encourage the Christians, don't give up, stay the course. Therefore, he wrote to us, consider it pure joy when you encounter many trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Allow that perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. We also glorify God by being activators and not just applauders of the word. It's one thing to enjoy a great message. There's a, a kind of pleasure in hearing a well-spoken, well-communicated sermon under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like pulling up to a table and enjoying all the great food that's being served. But it's another thing to actually act on what you hear and to be activated by it to be obedient and to set out on a different course because of what you've heard. In other words, you heard something, you sent something, the Holy Spirit spoke to you, and when you leave, there's something that you say, you know what, I need to do this, I'm going to go down this path. Jesus told us the essential mark of being a disciple is to obey his commandments. Hearing is great, but it doesn't turn into gold until we actually obey. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, otherwise you are deceiving yourselves. Another way that we glorify God is by treating all men equally, showing no partiality. Pastor John spoke to this last Sunday. You know, when you show partiality, the reason why it hurts so much and it's so cutting and disheartening is that it's because you undignify someone. You unsee someone. You rank them lower in life. You demote them in your eyes. You have just hung a lower price tag on them. If I went around and put a price tag on you, million dollars, million dollars, million dollars, and then I get to one of you and I go, oh, $99, how would you feel? 
In fact, part of the gospel can be explained by price tags. You know, we're out there and people say, you know what, you're not really that good. You don't make that much money. You don't really have a good job. You don't have status. You're not an influencer. You don't wear nice clothes. Your skin color is wrong. Your background is wrong. On and on. This is why social media is so toxic because we keep looking into the mirror of social media and we think, I'm not that. I'm not that pretty. I'm not that handsome. I'm not that gifted. And so that comparison has a corrosive effect on us. These comments, in effect, hang a price tag on you. Oh, that person over there is worth $100,000, but you're $9.99. To make matters worse, the accuser of the brethren, the devil, is also constantly lying to you, reinforcing or instigating these false narratives. But God says, I will rob the bank for you. I'm going to back up the trunk and dump my load to bring you home. You're not just worth a million bucks. You are priceless. You know the metaphor, 1 Corinthians 6, you have been bought with a price. It cost God his only son. God didn't just say, you know what, you're priceless. He proved it. And so that brings security to our hearts. Every person is precious and costly in God's sight. Likewise, we glorify God by deeming others the same way that God deems them. So when you show partiality, you've just fallen into the flesh. So James said, Show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We also glorify God by our works. You know, Christianity is not an abstraction. It's a religion that's made visible through our physical bodies and our behavior. It manifests that Jesus is real and transforms us by how we live and act. We have a B.C. and an A.C. story, before Christ and after Christ story. That before and after story bears witness that Jesus is radically alive in your life. This is why James writes, faith without works is dead. That word there in the Greek, works, is the idea of accomplishments or achievements. That when the grace of God comes into our life, it changes us and we start accomplishing and achieving different things. We aim our life in a different direction. By the way, the whole Pauline James tension about salvation by faith or works, Eugene did such a great job. John added to that about the theological tension. But in the end, there is no tension. When you study the core passages from Romans 4 and James chapter 2, it's got to put a smile on your face because both Paul and James use the exact same example of Abraham to make their point. In other words, there is no conflict philosophically, intellectually, or theologically. It's two sides of the same coin. We lead with faith and we follow with works. We lead with faith and we follow with works. Faith leads to salvation and work is the proof of it. Study 1 John, the book of 1 John written by the Apostle John. He is very, very clear. The signs of salvation will show up in your life. And if they don't show up, 
then actually your, quote, faith is still stuck in neutral. There's no traction. Just because I go to McDonald's, it doesn't make me a hamburger. And just because you go to church, it doesn't mean that you're a Christian. It has to manifest in your life. So today we add two more ways to glorify God from chapter 3, glorifying him through our words and wisdom. And um, these two themes come from the natural division of the verses. Verses 1 through 12 speaks of glorifying God through our words, and 13 through 18 speaks of glorifying God by wise living. So let's look at the speech component. You know, perfecting how we talk is one of the hardest things to do in life. How many times have we had to apologize to someone because of something that we've said? James describes the difficulty in this way. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives, or a vine bear figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So in other words, on Sunday morning we praise God, and then during the week we drop F-bombs and S-words. We say PTL in the Bible study, but then we invoke GDI when things go wrong. Give you a moment to think about GDI. <laughs> in front of someone, we compliment them, but then behind their backs, we gossip, slander, we tear them down. We bless people to their face, but actually we're cursing them behind their backs. Fresh water comes out one direction, but it's bitter water coming out another. We're living a double-minded, double-hearted, double-tongued life. There's a disconnect between what we profess and how we talk. Figs are not coming from the fig tree, and wine is not coming from the vine. We say we're Christian, but our speech certainly does not show it. We're talking more like the Babylonians and the heathens than like kingdom people. And partly it's because of the pressure of culture. It gives us permission to speak in this way. We are more conformed to the world than to Jesus. Culture has normalized that we can swear and talk with coarse language without grace. Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, the millennials. I don't know if the next tag will be Gen AA or I don't know, you've got to go around the circle. But these generations have mastered the skill of coarse language. Now, I have to admit that a well-placed swear word can be pretty funny and entertaining, but it's not sanctified or befitting of glorifying God. One of the most famous revivals in the 20th century occurred in Wales, referred to as the Welsh Revival. And the Spirit of God broke out among the coal miners, who were equivalent to sailors in terms of their language, swearing this way and that way. But when the revival hit that village, one of the things that became so clear and so apparent was the Spirit of God cleaned up the language of the coal miners. So much so that the animals that they would use to uh, that would follow them, didn't understand the coal miners anymore. 
because now their language was clean. Their new way of talking brought great glory to God. Now, taming our tongues is not an easy task. James says that taming the tongue is more difficult than dieting, exercising, or training animals. No joke. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So James is making this comparison between being able to control our body and our words. We know how difficult it is to diet and to work out. Bridling our words is more difficult than that. We also know, we don't have it around as much, but we also know why we like to go to the circus. Because we get to see tigers and lions and elephants that have been tamed and put to show. It's not easy to tame wild animals and beasts. But taming the tongue is even harder. That's what James says. And why is it so hard? Well, James doesn't hold back at all. He says the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. Right here, this little region, full of sin and iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on course, sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. In other words, the tongue can be deadly because of the war of thoughts and emotions raging inside of us. It's ready to go to war. Yeah, this little thing right here, it's ready to go to war. It's ready to go scorched earth in its tactics. The tongue in our mouth is such a small part of us physically as people. It's like a steel rudder on a megaton ship. That's what James says in verse 4 but it can instantly change the course of things. Our words can act like a spark and set a whole forest on fire. Anyone want to give a testimony of how they've set a forest on fire? Or how you started World War III with your words? I think every single one of us could give a testimony. We all have those forest fire stories. Can James make it more clear how destructive our words can be? Relationships, boss-employee situations, neighbors, on and on. So how do we tame the tongue? Well, the answer is profoundly simple. It's through self-control. James, going back to verse 2, we may all stumble, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. In other words, he is mature. Just because we think something, it doesn't mean we need to say it. Now, something may be true in its raw form, the way it's formulated in your head, but it doesn't mean that you should say that. In fact, you should restate it. Think before you speak, which is what 1 verse 9 said, be quick to listen, slow to speak. If you have bad words and sentences that you're about to say, replace them with gracious words. If anyone could be given to swearing in outbursts for our ways, it's God, right? But God doesn't swear at us. He doesn't rage at us or speak disproportionately to our sins. After we've sinned for the 10th, the 12th, the 15th time, he doesn't say, are you effing kidding me? He doesn't say that. 
or we do something poorly. He doesn't say, did you just do an S job? Or if we mixed up again, did you F up again? No, God speaks with self-control. He is perfect in his speech, always using the right words, tone, measure, and intensity. That's why Jesus put the Holy Spirit in us. Thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we would be out of control. With the Holy Spirit, we can speak with proper control. And self-control is the foundational fruit of the Holy Spirit. Study it in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What's the last one? But actually the foundational one, self-control. There is such a lack of self-control in society right now, it's craziness. Why are we having a war in terms of civility? Because self-control has been thrown out the window. Self-control and civility are tied one to another. We should not be voting for political leaders that are stirring up incivility because they lack self-control and use improper words, particularly as leaders that we want to emulate and follow. Now, I'm an American so I, and a Canadian, but I'm an, an American. I can speak to some of those political leaders. I won't name them, but you know what I'm talking about. It's outlandish, it's outrageous that our leaders would be doing this but it shows an utter lack of control. You know what the difference between a kid and an adult is? Self-control. Why does a kid break down if the meal is taken away from them? Because they let it all out. They haven't learned self-control. No, I want more, or I want my popsicle back. Now, as adults, we may feel like that, but we control ourselves. That's the difference. So incivility is actually reverting to a lack of self-control. We cannot be holy without proper self-regulation in our speech. James then leads us to the theme of wisdom, that we glorify God through wise living. Now, why does James have to talk about glorifying God through wisdom? Shouldn't that be something that we all want to do? Well, because our natural man regularly is motivated by anti-wisdom feelings. And what are some of those feelings? James calls out two biggies. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not, be, do not boast and be false to the truth. You cannot be jealous unless you have compared yourself to something else. Oh, that person is prettier. That person looks better. That person makes more money. If you're the only person in the world, there's no grounds for jealousy because you have no reference point. You have nothing to compare yourself to. But we always like to compare ourselves in some way. Oh, man, I worked 12 hours. I should be getting a bonus. Why did that person get a bonus and they only worked eight hours? Or ambition. You see something and you covet. You want power. You want fame. You want money. And so now you are motivated by greed. And when you're motivated, motivated by these impulses, you become cut off from God's wisdom and end up walking in earthly, unspiritual wisdom. That's what verse 15 says. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Really, James? Uh, demonic? 
So Naomi and I, we go to Asia on a regular basis, and a lot of people there <coughs> like to look to fortune tellers because they want to know if they're going to be a millionaire or not, or they want to know who they're going to marry. So they have this greed inside their flesh. Am I going to be a millionaire? When am I going to be a millionaire? How much am I going to make? Now they've opened themselves up to the demonic because of that ambition, because of that covetousness that's in them. And when you as a person begin to live out of this kind of natural earthly wisdom, you create an atmosphere of chaos. And it says there in verse 15 that there will be disorder in every vile practice. Another word that we can use is that we become corrupted, whether it's in sports, politics, the marketplace, it's rife with corruption. Everyone is elbowing each other, throwing punches, metaphorically, stepping on each other or undercutting, sabotaging one another to get ahead. Thankfully, James teaches us that there's a contrarian way, the Jesus way, the way of true wisdom and the fear of the Lord. You know the quickest way to tell if a person is wise or not? It says right here, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his conduct, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. You'll see wisdom by a person's behavior, by their deeds, and by their decisions. It's observable. And it also shows up in their personality. So in verse 17, James says, wisdom that's from above is first of all pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Every one of these characteristics is worthy of a message. But someone who is walking in wisdom is secure. They're not rattled. They know that they have a certain confidence because they're walking in integrity and righteousness. They have an ability to be impartial and non-biased. They can see both sides. They want to listen to both sides. And they can arrive at a sound decision that creates a win-win. As an assignment just for yourself this week, meditate on this verse, on these eight characteristics, and ask God to deepen them in your life. Maybe talk about them in your cell group. Lord, I want to go deeper in wisdom. Root me down into these things so I can manifest your glory through my life. But the all-encompassing sign that someone is walking in wisdom is given to us in verse 18, and that is a harvest of righteousness. When we were locked into our quarantine time, um, the hotel that we were booked into by the church had shut down the restaurant, so there was no food service in, in the hotel. And uh, so our hosts were like a little bit panicky. Don't worry, we'll get Uber Eats and, and we'll deliver food to you every single night. I tell you, food service in Taiwan is amazing. It's like so fast, so quick, they're just on it. So I said, no problem, no problem. Mimi and I love 7-Eleven in Taiwan. It's like, we'll just go out, we'll just get some, you know, sushi triangles from 7-Eleven and get our, you know, little treats. 
He said, no, 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 we, we want to treat you. So Uber Eats will deliver every night. I said, okay, great. So I get a text, your food is coming at 5.30 from our host. I said, okay. So 5.30, 5.45, 6 o'clock, 6.15. I go, what happened to the vaunted delivery service in Taiwan? Nothing. So finally I called down to the front desk. I said, there was supposed to be some food that was delivered you know, at 5.30, at 6.15 now. And they said, oh, yeah, it's here. I said, it's here? I said, how long has it been here? Oh, it's been here for about 30 minutes. And I thought, 30 minutes? It's been sitting there? Why did you wait so long? And they said, well, it, it's our policy for you to come down and pick it up. I said, okay. So I'm going down the elevator. I'm thinking, I need to talk to their front desk service about just common sense, right? If the food is there, don't you call the room and say, hey, your food is here. If your policy is we need to come pick it up, I don't mind that. Just tell me it's here. So I get down there and I have this discussion with them. I'm generally polite. Um, it's kind of like a Tim Hortons experience, as you know, my journey in the Tim Hortons thing. <laughs> so I pick up my food. The Tim Hortons things, for those who know about, I have a little pet peeve when people are not you know, good about their service. So I go back up to the room, we eat, and all of a sudden my conscience just bugs me. Oh, no. I said, I, that was not a good attitude. That wasn't a good way of going about it. And then I'm thinking I need to apologize. But then I don't quite have the Mandarin to apologize to them well. <laughs> so I'm searching for words on how to apologize them, how to talk to them over the phone. I practice my little thing for 10 minutes, and I call them. And they don't answer. Now I'm just like, oh, God, I, I thought I'd be able to talk to them right away. Now I'm in more agony. Wait 10 more minutes. They answered the phone, and I said to them, I'm really sorry. She said, no, we're, we're sorry. We should have called you. But the procedure is when Uber drops it off, they will text the person that ordered it. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? But I didn't order it. The host ordered it. So they called the host back. Now, had I been just a little bit more patient and gracious, could have been all unpacked, I would have been just fine. But instead, now I have to go back and apologize to them. And Mimi said to me, good job, I'm glad you did that. I felt so good. My reward was peace. I just harvested a little bit of righteousness in my life. And what motivated me to do the right thing it was my conscience, obviously, but also wisdom telling me this is the right thing to do. So in chapter 3, we get these two very practical, powerful themes about how we can glorify God. One is through our speech, what comes out of our mouth, and the other is to walk in wisdom and not according to our own ambition or greed. And as I end, I, I just want to talk about a little bonus point here what I call a two-for-one deal, where if you do this one practical thing, you will engage in good speech and walk in wisdom at the same time. Who wants to know what this two-for-one deal is? Of course, right? This two-for-one deal is called speaking in tongues. Now, remember in verse 6 of chapter 3, James said, the tongue is set on fire by hell. But then when we look in Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost comes, which we're going to celebrate in about six weeks, 
The Bible says God sent fire from heaven. So the tongue that we see in James chapter 3 is set on fire by hell, but the tongue that we see in Acts 2 is set on fire by heaven. So the next time you hit your thumb with a hammer, you don't have to swear. You can pray in tongues. When you speak in tongues, you always speak perfect heaven. When you pray in tongues, you never pray out of the will of God. You never have to go back and correct yourself. You're always praying that beautiful stream that comes from the Holy Spirit. He's always praying in the will of God. It's always that perfect flow. The bitterness is made fresh, and the blessing replaces the cursing. And when you pray in tongues, it's a joy gusher. Something happens. This is why the Bible says when you pray in tongues, you edify yourself because you uncork, you pop the champagne bottle. Man, Pastor Rich, I just feel so dry. I just don't feel connected to the Lord. Pop the cork. Take the stone off the well and let the Holy Spirit flow. And the joy will start moving because the Holy Spirit is joy. The Holy Spirit is not depressed. The Holy Spirit is not oppressed. The Holy Spirit is a freedom giver. He is there to edify you and to build you up supernaturally. In fact, they were so joyful in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says they accused the 120 in the upper room that they were full of sweet wine. There's a place to get drunk in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. I believe there's a new wine coming to Five Stones Church from the Holy Spirit. I believe something is coming down the road here. And that word that Alex gave to us about anticipation, yeah, we need to anticipate that there's a new wine coming. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I believe something is coming to our congregation that's going to stir us, that's going to excite us, that's going to cause us to fall in love with Jesus in a new way. Let it come, that new wine, that joy, that moving of the Holy Spirit. So speaking in tongues transforms our tongue. Instead of being set on fire from hell, it's set on fire by heaven. And then the second thing, in terms of wisdom, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul says that we pray with the Spirit, or we pray in tongues, and then we pray with our mind. So we like to pray with our mind first, and then when we run out of words, oh, Maybe I should pray in tongues. No, the Bible says you pray with the Spirit and then pray with your mind. Why that order? Because when we pray in the Holy Spirit, then our mind gets illumined with God's thoughts and wisdom. Revelation now is coming to you. So we need to flip that order. Pray with the Spirit and then pray with your mind. And when you get God's thoughts, what do you get? You get God's wisdom. So praying in tongues gives us a double whammy. We glorify God with our speech from the Holy Spirit, and we glorify God through wisdom as the Holy Spirit imparts to us his thoughts. This is a very practical thing to do in your life, to increase the light and the glory that God wants to bring through you. So we got a double-barrel impartation today, walking in the word and wisdom as James teaches us, and then also through the Holy Spirit as we pray in tongues. Father, we come before you.
I thank you, God, that you are doing something in your body here at Five Stones Church that's exciting, it's transformative. You're on mission. You're on mission with us, and we want to be on mission with you. You want to do something in the midst of heavy days, dark days, to lift that from us so that the oil of gladness can be upon us. That we represent you in a way that's so different and so distinctive from those that are in the world. And to do it practically through how we talk and how we act. So let a, a fresh impartation be upon us. You've spoken to several of us, if not all of us, God, about things that we can do. Let us act upon them. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was really struck as Rich was talking, just the power of the tongue. And we see so many examples of this in the Bible. You know, the Lord spoke creation into being. And then when he created us, you, you just look at the examples of God didn't name the animals. He told Adam to. So God built in us that ability to speak things into being. And that is the power of the tongue that he gave us. You know, how many times do you see God spoke to Moses, and then he tells Moses, this is what you are supposed to say. We see this time and a time again through the Bible that God can speak these things for himself, but he gave us that ability that when we line with him, we also become part of that process of speaking it. So there's, there's a destructive side when we're not careful with our tongues, but there's also this creation side that comes from the Lord through us. And um, there was also just, uh, I feel like the Lord was just showing me something this morning that there's a Mount Sinai in our future. And he's on the mountain. He's, there's a storm on it. The clouds, you know, it, it speaks of they were afraid because, you know, the thunder was rolling, the lightning was crashing, and the mountain, or the, the mountain was just covered in this storm. And... I feel like the Lord's saying, don't be afraid of it because you fear storms because they're of earthly storms. But this is God's storm, which means it can only be good for us. But I really feel that there is, and I think this builds into that anticipation. It builds into this thing of speaking um, into the things that are coming. But th there's a Mount Sinai in our future for this church, meaning you guys, the people, and we're not to be afraid of it. You know, we're not, we're, we're to, we're up, we're to approach to the edge of the mountain and not turn back. So just take that for what it is and just continue to pray in there. But Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We just thank you for your power that comes. We just thank you that you are enough, that you are our God, you are our provider. Lord, you, prov you provide for things in the future that you knew from before you even created time. And so, Lord, we just thank you for that. And, Lord, we just seek to be a people that come alongside you, that, that look to see your storm and know that it doesn't mean danger, but it means that you can move in power. Lord, where there is storms, there is mighty winds that move, Lord. And those winds can move the desert, Lord. They can move the mountains. Things that, that we see as permanent, Lord, you move in moments. And so, Lord, we just embrace you. 
Lord, sometimes your power can be so overwhelming and it can be scary, but Lord, we just sit there and say, God, you are good. You are so good to us. And so, Lord, we just speak into what you have for us. And we just say, Lord, we just embrace, Lord. We know that it means change. It means uncertainty. We know that it is only through you that we can change. And so, Lord, we just, um, we just wholeheartedly agree. And we just want to come alongside to your will, Lord. So, Lord, as we go forth this week, we just pray that you would put into our heart the things of our tongue that we need to quell the swearing, the, the self-deprecation, the, the lies that we tell ourselves and, or even we tell others, Lord, and that you would start to guide us into speaking truth into our lives, speaking truth into those around us, that you would make us all exhorters of your word and encourage people and bring just, bring just your love and your spirit upon all those that we're meeting and Lord, we just pray that in our prayer times this morning, you would come just like you did this morning, Lord, that you would come with a mighty wind, that you would come with a mighty power upon us, Lord, that in our morning prayers, Lord, we couldn't help but speak in tongues, Lord, because we've run out of human words to express the things that you are doing in our lives. And so, Lord, we just pray this morning that your spirit would just move in such a mighty way. I just feel as we're closing here that there's some of you that feel a tug to have a release in tongues. And the Lord just wants to come in a gentle but powerful way. So let me pray for you right now. If you want the gift of tongues, just open up your hands, palms up to the Lord in a gesture that you want to receive. Holy Spirit, you are such a, such a good God. And you want to fill us with your language. You want to fill us with your affection. I pray right now, God, for a release of the new wine, for a release of speaking in tongues, for a release, Father God, just of that regeneration, that joy and that power that comes, Lord, when we articulate through the Holy Spirit. So release right now, Holy Spirit, just tongues upon us as a congregation that we might be more holy, that we might be more pure, that we might be more passionate, and that we might glorify you, God, by our speech and by the wisdom that you give. If you felt a, a quickening and just like words bubbling up in your mouth, that's, that's the Holy Spirit leading you to take that step to just release the gift of tongues and take it into your quiet time and just practice it. It might feel like marbles in your mouth in the beginning, but just let it flow. Let it flow and it'll just continue to develop. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just pray you'd bless us this week as we go forth. And we just pray all this in your name. Amen. Be blessed.